Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hills and Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then mm-hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Silence is complacency. Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and Chevrolet are teaming up for Real Talk, Real Change to help foster racial equality in America, and we're inviting you to help. Join me, Carlos Watson, as I talk with key leaders from across the country about race and the American dream. Look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk, Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or download The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts. Keith and Kenny Lucas grew up in the rough inner city Newark, New Jersey with aspirations of becoming lawyers. The Lucas brothers attended separate law schools but realized in their third year, law wasn't their passion. The Lucas brothers took a very different career leap and dove into stand-up comedy together and quickly found they were truly in love with comedy. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, the Lucas brothers recall what triggered them to change their career paths, how deeply connected they are as twin brothers, and their movie in the works about Fred Hampton. Hey guys. Hey, yeah, what's up? What's up, brother? Really nice to see you both. Good to see you too, man. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. Big, big fan. Uh, uh, you made me smile as soon as I saw Newark is for artists. <laughs> I almost thought you said Newark is for tourists, which was really going to make me smile. That That's actually kind of funny. Newark is for tourists. It's so <laughs> ironic. I mean, now it is, but historically it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you, um, you guys ever read that book, um, the short and tragic life of Robert Peace. I did. We actually uh, we had a sit down with the author of it two three weeks ago. Right. Uh, yeah, we read that book. It's uh, riveting. Uh, broke my heart. Right. Uh, I thought it was, it's a great book. So great. You read it? Yeah, I did. A friend of mine recommended it to me. It's funny. I used to be a big reader, and I would, as a kid, I felt like I read so many books. I ended up getting glasses, you know, because I was a late night. <laughs> reader all the time. And I've gone away from that. And I'll, I'll read short things, but I won't read whole books anymore. And I would say that's one of the last five books I've read in the last decade. And it oh, wow. was, uh, yeah. as you said, it was, um, I'm not even fully sure what to say that it made me feel, but it made me feel, A, that I wish that that hadn't happened to him. Um, right. And, right. and B, I wish that I had actually gotten to sit down with him. I would have loved to have met him. And uh, yeah. 
you know, I had so many questions for him. Um, so yeah, anyhow, it, it, uh, it was a, uh, it was a strong book. So I, I think of that book, I think of Shaq Diesel, whenever I think yeah. of uh, Newark, uh, um, Queen Latifah, you know, uh, Jordan. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. I mean, you know, you know, Newark is a, it's a special place. I mean, I think the narrative about it sort of gets, gets twisted a bit, but I think a lot of people fail to recognize that Newark has produced a lot of talent. Right. Uh, you know, the founder of the Black Arts Movement is from Newark, you right. know what I mean? You know, we were one of the first cities to have a Black mayor, to have Black black council people, mm-hmm. Black leadership. And, like, we grew up with Black leadership. Right. So, you know, I, I just feel like Newark is a very, very special city. And, uh, you know, hopefully as time progresses, people will, will you know, learn more about the beauty of it and the art of it and not so much just the tragedy. Right. How, how much opportunity is there? And I'm asking this wide open because of COVID. I haven't traveled back east now in a year. And it feels like anything I knew in 2019 may not still be true in 2021. But 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 how much of a chance do you think Newark has to get to a different place if, in fact, it wants to get to a different place? Like, Does it feel – you know how sometimes you feel like a place has an opportunity to to – to grow and to go and other right. places you don't quite feel that momentum. It, it kind of is where it is. Right. Does Newark feel like one of those places that, that is on the move and has a chance to, to evolve and grow? Yeah. I mean, thinking about Newark historically, we've been sort of a hub of commercial activity. I mean, dating back to the, the 1700s, the 1800s. I mean, the, the, the recent wave of like criminal behavior and corruption is relatively new. I mean, you, maybe the thirties, the early thirties, when you sort of the Italian immigrants and the Irish immigrants came in and battled for political power, but they also battled for you know, uh, criminal power as well. And I think that that sort of impacted Newark's standing within the, in the national sense. But I feel like with, you know, with Cory Booker, with uh, just the way we're situated from a, a geographical standpoint, being so close to Newark, I mean, New York and Philly, I feel like we're uniquely situated to have a, a renaissance. In fact, I think that we are, you know, currently in that the early stages of the renaissance. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, Mayor Ross Baraka, he's been a champion of the city. Uh, I think he's built on what Corey did. Uh, but, you know, obviously his roots are Newark and he's, he's still spreading the message of his father. I think that, you know, we're seeing a, a renaissance in black art in general. So that you, you're going to talk about Newark. Right. You can't talk about black art and not talk about Newark. So, right. I, I think you're right. I think we're uniquely positioned to, to to take ourselves to the next level. And I think as more artists continue to grow and tell the fuller story about Newark, right. we're, we're going to see a more complete picture. And there's been a ton of investment. There's been a ton of business people investing in Newark. You right. saw with Facebook giving us $100 million. You right. see it with Amazon, Amazon almost, almost moving, in. moving in. So, And you also have, um, what's the, the book with the... Audible. Audible. Audible has uh, his headquarters in Newark. So we're seeing a lot of tech move to Newark. We're seeing uh, a renaissance in terms of um, TV and film. There's going to be a movie about Newark coming out. So the Joker filmed in Newark. So I think there's a lot of activity. The Dark Knight filmed in Newark. The Dark Knight filmed in Newark. There's a lot of activity in Newark right now. And I think it's, it's only going to grow. I'm hopeful. I love what you just said, that there's a renaissance in black art and, and, I think you're right. I, I haven't put those words to it, and maybe you're more in artistic circles, so maybe that's a, that's something you, maybe you've been talking about for a while. But as I hear you say that, as I think about your partner, uh, Ryan Coogler, as I think about 
uh, Issa Rae, as I think about um, uh, Ava and what she's doing at Array, I, I put Isabel Wilkerson in there. Sure, I yeah. put you know Black Panther in there. I'm putting yeah. all that in there. That there does feel like there's something rich and and new. Is that true on the ground for people who are writing, doing comedy, doing dramas, uh, doing animation, uh, producing film? It, it does feel different. I think you 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 covered it pretty well. I think what's happened is. You have the internet, you have streaming, and I think it's freed African-American artists from the dictates and the commands of the studio system. I still, I mean, there's still a partnership between black artists and the studio system, but I feel like streaming has given us, you know, more opportunities to really like create authentically black art that's not, un- that's not un- unencumbered by, you know, ridiculous dictates like we have to, you know, sell it overseas or we have to, you got to have certain stars in the film so, so that it'll make money. Like, I feel like the studio system, unfortunately, has this sort of myopic perception of uh, Black artists. And so they typically put us into a box, be it comedy, be it drama. If you look at the comedies that come from the studio system, they're usually not, you know, nuanced. They're not nuanced. You know, they tend to be a little bit more formulaic and drag and sort of you know, just awful. So I think what the hey, internet... Hey, you, you, you- before I, I'm so sorry. I just I just love too much what happened, and I was <laughs> oh, I always wanted what just happened. I did. I got the three best sisters anybody has ever had in the world. I'm the champ. I have the best sisters in the world. But I always wanted that. I always wanted a twin brother. I grew up in Miami. We were playing sports. We were haggling with people. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe doing other stuff. And I always wanted a twin brother. Right. How good is it? Is it as good as advertised? Because that moment, yeah. <laughs> that makes it look as good as advertised. <laughs> it's just it's just, just fun, man. You got your best friend with you. And yeah. if I start to stumble, he just picks me up. Yeah, it's like you, you, I always have a, a, a hype man with me. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like I, I never feel like I'm, I'm, I'm alone in this world. So right. if, I, if I'm stumbling or if I can't get my thoughts together, I know he's going to come in and just put it together. So it's like, uh, yeah, I have my best friend with me at all times, yeah. and uh, it's it's just a beautiful thing when we get to create too and work with others right, and, right. and do stand up together, and we just we just have a very very you know close and healthy relationship. And right. I, I wouldn't trade it for for anything. It's made COVID a lot easier. It's made COVID a lot easier. That's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now now, did you guys ever have a moment where you were, uh, and I don't just mean a moment, but like six months, a year, two years, where you guys for whatever reason went your own way or, or tried to go your own way? Or have you guys been a true unit? Because like the uh, the Morris brothers, uh, if you're basketball fans, mm-hmm. the Morris brothers, uh, uh, um, uh, they actually couldn't afford to play on different pro teams at one point. That, that having spent so much time, literally the two teams decided, I'll give up one of my men so that those brothers can play together. Wow. Have you guys ever been truly a part or not really? No, we have. Um we we separated a bit when we went to different law schools. So right. I, I went to Duke Law. He went to NYU Law. So right. for almost three years, we were living separate separately. Right. And it was probably the toughest three years of my life, without a doubt. It was the hardest, man. I, I, I'd never been that far apart from him. So I'm like, this is strange. People call me by my first name. I'm like, I don't even know what my first name is. I have, I've never heard my first name. Who, who's this kid guy? <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. I just don't know who he is. I'm so used to being called twin. So it was like, weird i had to reshape my identity i had mm-hmm. to become like this individual and i just i, I have no clue how to be 
Yeah, and I, I never, I, I, I didn't realize that I was taking my brother for granted. You know, when he was gone, I just, you forget, like, the, I forgot how much I leaned on him just for, like, emotional support. So, like, when we were in college, we studied philosophy together, and we, you know, we studied together. And anytime I had problems, I went to him. Mm-hmm. But at law school, it was like, you know, law school is even more vigorous than philosophy. Mm-hmm. And to not have his emotional and intellectual support just made it, made it even more difficult. Right. It was a huge right. challenge. A huge challenge. Yeah, because I would I would assume one of the things that happens for lots of people, but I think disproportionately for men these days, is um, even though I think we're better today than I think we were 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I still think it's hard sometimes to say I'm struggling with something, to be vulnerable, right. to you talked about nuance earlier. You do sometimes have nuanced feelings. You may simultaneously be excited but also afraid. Right. You may kind of understand it but not. And to have a partner who you can just immediately not worry about all that uh, that other stuff on and just kind of get to anything that's a concern, that does seem like a huge advantage. I don't want to project, but it, but as I hear you talk about that, and as I think about times when I may have struggled in school or times right. when I may have been worried at work and how you have to position it, even when you're telling it to someone else to get help, if I didn't have to position it and I could just go right in, that would that make a difference, probably. Without a doubt, like without a doubt. I mean, it's like when you have to deal with your trauma, deal with your emotional vulnerabilities by yourself, and you don't have anyone to talk to, or you don't have the money to afford a therapist, or you know, just like to, to do certain uh, things to work on it. It's hard. Mm-hmm. So having my brother, man, like it, it just it alleviated a, a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety that I might have felt, like the confidence that I may have not had in myself. I know he had it in me, so it, it's sort of it sort of gets you to the next day. When you lose that, you know, you, you, you really realize, like, where you stand. As a yeah, person. for sure. I second everything he says. I mean, I'm like, you know, we grew up in North New Jersey. It was a, a tough living situation. Our father went to prison when we were six. So we had a lot of early childhood trauma. And, you know, I, I never thought about getting therapy until I got, you know, got a little bit older. But before that, it was my brother who I leaned on right. for, for support, who, who I leaned on to get me to the next day. And I, I honestly don't think I would be where I am now if I didn't have a twin brother to right. just sort of like keep me grounded and tell me like everything's going to be okay if we just work hard. You know, mm-hmm. Everything's going to be all right. You, you don't have to lose yourself to drugs or alcohol or, or depression. Just just keep fighting through it. And uh, yeah, just having a twin just sort of, it really saved my life. Right. Thanks. You know, I heard you guys talking about your pop and you, I, and I don't know if you were joking or not, but you were saying that he got a degree in philosophy while he was in prison. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's a joke. Uh, it's, it's sort of based on, he's a very like philosophical guy. He, he always gives us like words of advice and he'll like quote like, you know, different philosophers. So he's a very ph- philosophically in tune guy. He never got his degree, but uh, we, fi- we figured we got our degree. So that gives some truth to, to the, the notion of getting a degree in philosophy. But no, he never did. We just did that for the punchline. <laughs> Silence is complacency. Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and Chevrolet are teaming up for Real Talk, Real Change to help foster racial equality in America, and we're inviting you to help. Join compelling conversations on race and the American dream, hosted by me, Carlos Watson. 
In these special episodes of The Carlos Watson Show, I'll be joined by key leaders and thinkers from across the country. We'll have pointed conversations to identify problems and arm you with solutions. If you're ready to make an impact, look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or on the audio version, look for The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to meet the moment. We'll hold the spot for you. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. (laughs) And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So how did you guys decide to leave, you know, successful law school experiences, NYU, Duke, premium law schools, graduating with honors. And so I assume that a lot of folks would have happily paid you, maybe did, mm-hmm. you know, healthy six figures and eventually would have paid you seven figures. And so to walk away from that, to try your hand at comedy and other things, was that always in the cards? Was that 
easy because midway through law school you weren't enjoying it and you kind of knew mm-hmm. that you were going to do something different. How did you end up making uh, making that kind of bold transition? Well, my first year of law school, I, I think I sort of, I, I instantly knew that it wasn't a profession for me. Um, you know, and I don't want to disparage the profession itself. I, I think that uh, there are certain aspects of the law that are very rewarding, both financially and emotionally. And I think that there are a lot of good lawyers out there. Uh, I think, and then there are a lot of bad ones as well. I think for, for me, I just, I always had that creative impulse. Like I, I always had this, I, I, I wanted to see what I could do as a creator, as someone who, uh, you know, thought about uh, creating worlds and filmmaking and writing scripts and telling stories. There was always this impulse. And, uh, you know, I had to scratch it because if I didn't, I would have, you know, just, I would have regretted it. I would have, I would have turned 45, 50. I would be sitting in my law office and I would be like, what am I doing? I have money. Sure. I have, you know, I have job titles, but did I, did I really like explore what I could do creatively to the fullest extent? And I would, I would probably be very disappointed in myself. So in my experience was actually kind of radically different from my brother. Like I enjoy law school. I enjoyed it as much as a person can enjoy it. I, I, I worked really hard. I, I had, I really wanted to get a law job and, and I, didn't, I didn't have any ambition to, to do anything creatively, but then, you know, I just, I started getting depressed. I, I can't even explain. Like I just started getting really depressed with the, the whole experience. And then, you know, the, the, the job market crash right. and people weren't getting the law jobs that they were thought they were going to get. Right. And uh, my third year, I was just like deeply, deeply depressed. And, and I wasn't even like engaged at really that much in the academic experience any longer. Right. And then he called me up and said like, let's do stand up. And I thought he was crazy. Yeah, I thought that no, he was, I probably was crazy. I thought that he was a maniac. I was like, dude, what are you like? Yeah. Like that's the like that's so crazy to me. I couldn't even like piece it together. I was like, he stand on. I'm not a stand up comedian. The long term goal was filmmaking for I, sure. I, I, you know, but you presented it first as stand up, right, right, so I was just like, this this guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then he sent me a video of him on stage, and I was like, he's terrible, but. <laughs> but it's like it was it was weird to see him on stage and i was like oh that's kind of, it's, it was just like it kind of like made me like happy just to see him doing it right, right, right. and uh, that's when we uh, came back to jersey and we did stand up together for the first time and we sucked right, right. it was like i felt an instant connection to it and i was like i love i love this way more than i I've, I've ever thought i loved the law and i was like that's when i was like i got to do it i have to try stand up right and so i quit uh, a, a week later right Wait, now, what, now, what did you love about it? Because I've heard different comedians talk about what they enjoyed. What did you love about it? I love it. It's, it's a rush. Right. You're like you, you go on, you're, you're afraid to step on stage. But once you step on stage and put the mic to your mouth and you see people looking at you and the lights are blaring on your face mm-hmm. and it's just a rush, man. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I never felt that rush. But I, and I still feel that rush every time I stand on stage. It's right. just like, it's an adrenaline thing. And, then once you get somewhat okay at it, it's a certain level of freedom that you get right. to just speak your mind and right. say whatever you want. But, you know, when we first got on, we weren't really like, we weren't confident enough to just speak freely. But I just felt like I, I was just looking over to my brother and he had a, this big smile on his face. Right. And I had, like, I had a smile on my face and it just felt, we just felt natural. It just felt like this is what we were meant to, to do. Right. This is, this is, it just felt right. I can't even explain it. It, just, it was like a spiritual thing. Right. It was just like it just something just washed over me, and I just I never felt like that in, in anything that I've done in my life, and I I just I love stand up for that. It's just like 
it's a spiritual thing. I don't know. Yeah, if that, I know. Same thing. It's like, have you ever stood on stage and like made a group of people laugh for an hour and getting applause breaks and, and, and just, just bringing them nothing but joy. I can't think of anything that feels better than that. Right. Honestly. Wait, now were you guys funny growing up? Like if I had gone to junior high or high school with you, were you guys funny back then? I mean, we, we were we were like low key funny. Right. We right. weren't like the like we were never like the, the center of attention or class clowns. Like we within our group, we were always among the, the funny the funny ones. Like we were good we we always made good observations. Right. Like we were we could point out things like small things and joke about it. We also had like this sort of internal language that we followed. So yeah, I think we were all we always had good comedic instincts. Yeah, I think our friends would tell you like, yeah, they were very they were funny growing up. They weren't the the most uh they weren't the most uh they weren't the loudest. They weren't the, the people who demanded attention, but like they were quietly very funny. Right. And uh I think we always just had a, a sharp sense of humor. We you know we love Seinfeld growing up. So it was always kind of Seinfeldian. Right. But and it wasn't like Martin Lawrence was. It was just a little bit more dry and low key. But we definitely had an acute uh, sense of humor. Wait, you guys are too young to remember a guy named Newhart, Bob, Bob Newhart. Newhart. You guys yeah. ever see any? Yeah, I mean, I know about Newhart now. Bob Newhart's a legend. A legend yeah. yeah, he was. Uh, he was great. Actually, the um, before you guys, a couple of the funniest comedians I'd ever come across was Damon Wayans when he was younger. Mm-hmm. He had this uh, special called uh, "The Last Stand." which was one of the funniest specials. If you haven't seen it, I mean, you only you know because you guys are pros at it, but I yeah. thought it was a masterpiece. It's it was one of the best specials I've ever seen. And uh, then there was a guy named Jimmy Tingle. Have you guys ever come across a guy named Jimmy Tingle out of Boston? No, no. I don't know Jimmy Tingle. Jimmy Tingle, Jimmy Tingle was like um, Lenny Cook. I don't know if you guys are basketball fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lenny Cook... Remember him? He was the guy who was rated more highly than LeBron, than right, Carmelo, right, right. than all those guys. Yeah. Uh, out of New York, never made it to the league. Um, but for guys who knew Amari Stoudemire, blah, 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 they will all tell you that Lenny Cook was special. Right. And this guy, Jimmy Tingle, was like that on the Boston circuit and Northeast. You guys really would have uh, enjoyed him. I'm sure you have your – but when I heard you say dry wit, it made me think of uh, – I got to check, check him out. I'm going to check him out for people. sure. I'm surprised I never yeah. heard of him. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Hey, tell me about the uh, the Fred Hampton movie. I was so glad to see that you did it. I love how you've uh, cast it. I know you worked with good people on it, but I love seeing Lakeith and I love uh, seeing Daniel and the others. It feels like you've got a, a beautiful cast there. Uh, how did you get involved in it? How did you help put this together? Yeah, man. The cast is electric and props to everyone who worked on the film. We uh, we actually we came across uh, Fred's story while we were in college, actually. Our sophomore year, we're taking this African American studies course. Professor Dr. Fisher, Dr. Fisher, big up to Fisher, and he, uh, we were covering Reconstruction up until the 1970s, and so we we did this chapter on the Black Panthers, and they talked about the state-sanctioned assassination of Hampton. We'd never heard of Hampton until college. I was like, who? Why is this story not more widely known? Why didn't we learn this during elementary school? Why we? Why didn't we just gloss over it? Like, and so that always struck us as odd. So once we decided to get into uh, entertainment our goal was like we got to get a Fred Hampton film made I don't know when we're going to do it how we're going to do it but as soon as we start getting a little bit more buzz as comedians and actors and stuff like that we're going to try to you know transition and write this story and get it done we always knew we had the ability to do it but we didn't have the we didn't have the resources we didn't have the connections so and we didn't really know like the the process of like getting a movie made but like we were doing a ton of research I mean we read the assassination of Fred Hampton. 
We were at Black Against Empire. We were watching all of the speeches. Right. We, you know, we just tried to like really immerse ourselves into to the, the life story of Fred Hampton, who he was right. and what he stood for, his message. And then we came across this transcript of the Eyes on the Prize interview in 1980, I think PBS. And it was about William O'Neill. He was doing this interview about it. And he was pretty much walking us through his time as a Panther in the late sixties. And we were like, this is the film right here. We, I, it just felt so we saw, we saw it immediately. We were like, wait, this is, this is a crime thriller. We have this informant who, who infiltrated the black Panthers uh, and took down one of the greatest people of all time. Like that to us would make a perfect film. Right. And so we started constructing the story around William O'Neill infiltrating uh, the black Panthers. And, you know, we watched this movie in, in, sophomore year called The Conformist. It's this 1970s Italian crime thriller, Bertolucci. Bertolucci. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a cinematic masterpiece. And we were like, we want to frame our story like that. We want, we want to basically make The Conformist but set in the world of COINTELPRO. Right. And um, so we, that's how we put, a, put together our pitch doc and we wrote out a, a two to five page outline. And uh, we went around town to a bunch of different production companies and studios mm-hmm. and tried to sell them on this you know, this crime thriller epic involving Fred Hampton with infiltration. And uh, we got passed on by every studio. Right. Uh, and, you know, it, it was what it was. But we realized, like, we, we're going to need to strengthen our package. We're going to need a little bit more to, to sell this story. So we thought we needed to work with a filmmaker to, right. to, to translate our ideas to, into a more cinematic way. And that's when we met, we met Shaka in 2016. We were just filming a, a pilot for, like, FX. And he was directing it and we just hit it off. He was just, he just had like a sort of an ease with us. Like he was just very cool and calm. And he just, I just, he felt like the guy who could handle something of this magnitude. So we, and during this time, Will Burson was working on his own script about Fred Hampton, which was a bit more robust. Uh, But we hooked up with Shaka. He came to our Hollywood apartment and we just started hitting it off. And we started just like pitching him our idea and he was telling us what he, he, how he would handle it, and he was pitching us some ideas. So we went back and forth on a, another more robust treatment, and then we hooked up with Burson. And then yeah, because Jermaine Fowler, who was a, he's in the movie. He knew Burson, he knew Shaka, he knew us, and he kind of put us all together. And that's when we read Burson's script, and we were like, wait a second, we can use our story, rework Burson's script, put it all together, and then, then go out to the town. And Shaka knew Kugler yeah. from Sundance. So once the script was done, he called up Shaka. And, I mean, called up a Kugler to ask him to produce the film. Yeah. And Kugler got involved. And once Kugler got involved, he called up Charles King, who put up, half the, like, who put up half the money to finance the film. So it was just like a, a, just a lot of different parts and pieces moving together. And I'm shocked it got this far. But it's, it's, a, it's just... Yeah, I mean, it's a movie about a revolutionary socialist. So, uh, a black revolutionary being being produced by Warner Brothers, like it's everything we could have hoped for. Everything we could hope for. You know, I love hearing that, and I love hearing just even also how all of you guys work together. I mean, at its best, it sounds like a PayPal story. It sounds like a <laughs> Tesla story. You know what I mean? Right, but, yeah. but what a beautiful thing thinking about all of you innovators coming together and creating it and. You know, uh, you topped it off with my man Charles, who uh, who I've been friends with for a long time. I didn't even know this was one of his, which uh, which which I love. And he, he got that last name right, like somebody <laughs> in this uh, up above, you know, you know, knew he was going to be special yeah, and right. uh, and right. gave him the right last name, King. So um, he's a he's a legend, man. 
just being able to work with him, it's like he's such a he's such a like supporter and fighter for black stories. Right. Unlike any other producer in Hollywood right now. And he's he's been able to take stories like uh, our Fred Hampton story yeah. and, and get it to to, to Warner Bros. Yeah. So uh, like big ups to Charles King for just for being a phenomenal producer. Right. Yeah, he um um his story, like Tanahasi Coates's story more than anything, is a love story. Right. He's got one of the greatest wives of all time. And I think he ends up way more capable, in the same way that you guys say as brothers, you guys strengthen each other and that you can see in one possibilities for the other. I've talked to him about it before, and it's a a wonderful thing uh, to see how they have have strengthened each other in such a, a good way. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
they're telling me that my time's almost up, so I'm going to jump around a little bit if you don't mind. I'm. Sure. Uh, you mind if we do something I, I call rapid fire, where I want to hit you with a couple things and then uh, then have you come back at me? Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, uh, I want to hear from both of you. Your favorite film of all time? The Godfather. It's the Big Lebowski. Oh, very interesting. Different. Now, by the way, Godfather one or two? I'll give you three if you need it, but one or two. <laughs> Part two. Part two. Okay. And your favorite character in The Godfather is? Uh, Corleone, Michael Corleone. Michael. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Marlon Brando. I'm a Vito Corleone kind of guy. I like Vito. I, like Vito. I love I'm, Vito. Vito yeah. I think I'm a Vito guy. Yeah. Corleone's too, Michael Corleone's too cold. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was, that just, there was a lot of good, good acting in there. Okay. Favorite TV series of all time from each of you? Whew. Breaking Bad. Mm, Seinfeld. Interesting. Okay. I'm liking, again, we got a little bit of difference. That's good. I'm, I'm going to take them both. Uh, you both are you both are wrong, by the way. The right answer was the wire. I was gonna say, I was, and, I was gonna uh, say the wire. I was gonna say the wire. I was gonna say the wire. That was my that was like my first choice. I was I wanted to say it, but I went with comedy instead because he said it was such a tragic one. So I went well, with I went I, I love I think the wire is is one of the greatest TV shows ever made. I don't think they stuck the landing, and that's the only reason I gave it the breaking back. They stuck the landing. All right, we'll get into this another time when I see you in person. The greatest single season. In TV history, season three was season. Homeland season one. Mm, I was going to say season three of The Wire. Oh, season three of The Wire. Homeland season one takes it by like a nose, mm. by a nose. I don't know, man. Season three was flawless. It was season three flawless. flawless. Yeah, I can't think of one issue with season three. It was Shakespearean, right? All right, we, hold on. We, now we got to get into some more stuff. <laughs> Give me the top three. Uh, characters on the wire in your mind because in my mind that was so rich with characters it was beyond a dream team it was loaded you got more than your money's worth omar's number one in terms of acting who are you omar who is omar omar omar's number one okay right stringer stringer bell is very fast stringer or stringer i don't like when people put stringer who else i said stringer or avon is number two for me uh, oh, uh, I like Bodie. Bodie. Bodie's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I like Michael. I yeah. like uh, Wallace, obviously. Kima's, Kima's exceptional. Kima's exceptional. Jeez. Uh, yeah. I like uh, what's Lieutenant Daniels was fantastic. Yeah, Daniels is one of my Oh, you like people. Cedric Daniels. I love Daniels. I loved him a lot. I, I, I felt like he was like the moral sort of center of it all. Like, right. And his the marriage problems and and his his discipline. He was a great police officer. Like his back and forth with McNulty. I I love I, I love really Daniels. really really love Daniels. I love Daniels. I love oh Daniels. uh 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 Funk 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 is top. Yeah <laughs> yeah Funk Funk was good. Bunk but but, but you know what? Neither of you neither of you said Snoop. I, I like Snoop. I I, I feel like they should have. Explore her character a little bit more. Yeah, she, I think was, she came off a little one-dimensional. I felt like, I, I, I like Omar. Interesting. Was, Omar was complex and 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 multifaceted. Right. He did crazy things. You got to see it. The softer side. I felt like with uh, Snoop, who was fan, like the actor who played Snoop, it was so it was authentic. But I felt like it was just sort of like yeah, I would have loved to go into her backstory. Right. It's right. like how did she get to where she got? Right. Right. Uh, see, that's what I'm saying. This thing was loaded. And remember, 
you have not even, because I know you want to argue that none of the newspaper storyline was any good. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Um, my man, the director in there, I think his name is Clark in real life. Right. Who was the director, the brother who was in that. Right, right, right. He did a good job, too. That was a good character. It was a different kind of character. Tom McCarthy's character was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's a great season. I, I feel like Breaking Bad stuck it, though. Interesting. All right. We'll, we'll come back to that another day. By the way, I'm, I'm going to give you a gift because I can tell that I like <laughs> you both. I'm going to give you a gift. Thank you. It's, it's called The Same Sky. Have you come across Same Sky? No, no. A, a German series? That's my gift to you today. Happy Thank holidays. You, That's my gift that. to you. Same, Same Sky. Sh- if you've not seen that yet, You'll you'll thank me later, given all the things we talked about and given how much uh, I can already discern just from hearing the things that you said. Um, As I wrap up, uh, give give people some advice, because you guys know that dreaming fearlessly is not an easy thing to do for any of us. And, And even if you start to go down that road where you do dream fearlessly, actually bringing it alive can be heartbreaking. It can be difficult. It can be interrupted. Um... What's the best advice you've either gotten or given to someone about how to dream fearlessly and bring those dreams alive? Great question. I mean, I think the, this sounds almost cliche and, and I, I hate to say it, but I think the, the best advice I can give to anyone who wants to who dreams fearlessly is stay persistent. Uh, believe in your, your instincts and, and believe in yourself because no one's going to believe in you. No, no, no studio. No. I mean, it, the institution is not going to believe in you until you Prove yourself. But in order to prove yourself, you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't have, you can have some doubts. That's reasonable. But like, don't let them overwhelm you. Don't, you know, and, you know be prepared to, 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 I don't want to say fail, but be prepared to not always, it's not going to always go to where you want it to go. There are going to be obstacles. There's going to be conflict. There are going to be moments where you feel you're at your lowest. But like, if you just, as Kenny said, stay persistent and, and, and just don't, give up on yourself. Right. Anything is possible. Like we're from North New Jersey. Our father went to prison when we were six. We grew up poor. Mm-hmm. We had nothing growing. I mean, we had a family and we had some stuff, but you know, we grew up at the, as, at the lower end of, uh, in class and we made it to where we made it because we, we believed in ourselves and we worked our ass off. So you got to work hard, but in it, but you got to have faith in yourself as well. And you right. know, if you have faith in the good Lord, that, that, that helps too. Faith in God helps as well. Yeah. And you know, he, our faith in God carried us further than anything because right. even when you give up, you know, there's someone watching over you and uh, it's, it's helped us tremendously. So, you know, it might be too spiritual for some folks, but it's, it's been, it's been a, a good guiding light for us. It, it also may be exactly what some folks need now. Hmm. All of us having been humbled by the Free. last year, Free. right? It, 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 it may be, it may be something that people can hear today that they couldn't have heard a year ago, or at least they may be able to hear it differently. I totally um, agree. Than, than, they, than they could. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, talk to me a little bit about travel. I love traveling. I know it's not easy to do today, given all the drama, but if you were to kind of give yourself a little, a little breather, a little staycation, a little fun near where you live, tell us about some of the interesting little uh, spots in and around Newark uh, or New York where, uh, where you guys might go and get a day away or a couple days away. I'm actually, um, I, I, I just booked a trip to the Catskills. So I'm going to be going up to the Catskills and, 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 and chilling out in a cabin in the woods. And it's going to be like mountains. And I'm, it's like, oh, it's like two hours away. I'm so excited going with my girlfriend. I'm, I'm, I'm very, 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 very excited about it. 
Wait, wait, wait. Now, are you are you bare bones Airbnb guy or are you fancy Airbnb guy? It depends on the situation. Like if, if I'm in like if I'm in Arkansas, let's say I'm in like a place that's not like that expensive, I'll I'll pay a little bit more for a nice Airbnb. But if I'm in like a real like a LA or New York, I tend to like be pretty frugal. Right, right. Because right. it's like if you're only staying two nights, there's no reason to break the bank. That's True. how I see it. True. I'm gonna go to the Poconos. I wanna go to like I wanna like snowboard and and just get like a nice little cabin in the Poconos. I think that would be great. That's great. Poconos is great. It's great. It's right there. You can drive. I think I think I wanna do that sometime soon. All right, last question for both of you. Um, if you could meet anyone for dinner, alive, dead, you name it, who would you love? Who would make you excited? Who would you be like, I cannot wait for this dinner date to come? Who would you be excited about meeting? Martin Luther King Jr., without a doubt. I'm going to go with Fred Hampton. I'm going to go with Fred. I would love to talk to Fred. I would love to. I, he's such a, ah, he, he just, I, I loved his optimism. Right. Despite how crazy the world was, he was so optimistic. And he was a fighter. He was an organizer. I would, I would love to speak with Fred. I think, I think, I think Fred is amazing. He would be my second choice. My first choice is King because I think he's the most important figure in the in the 20th century. And I think when history writes itself, he's going to be up there with Cicero. He's going to be up there with Socrates. He's going to be up there with G- like he's going to be remembered as such. But I love that he's from the 20th century, so he has like that modern take. But he's a historic giant of a figure that 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 will transcend time and space. So I want to meet King. I want to talk to King. I want to pick his brain. I want to, he's just the most fascinating man in my, in my being. So, so I love both of those. I love King because I'm, I'm the kind of geek who actually listens to his old speeches. Oh so I start God. most of my mornings off listening to not his most famous speech, but other little speeches he would give in little churches or little places. I also, also always thought that his writing should be taught to high school freshmen because he is such a beautiful, impactful, even forget what he was talking about or who he was, even if it was, even if his name was just Joe Johnson, right. he is one of the best writers I've ever come across. And everyone should know how to introduce something the way he does. I agree. I, my favorite speech of his is Beyond Vietnam, the one he gave on April 4th, 1967, a year before his death at Riverside, New York. That's, in my opinion, his best speech. I think the speech he gave in the Memphis uh, right before his death was also one of the best speeches ever given by a person, period. Yeah. I gave it to Riverside because it's so the, the time period and the context and the, what he was losing when he did that speech just sort of but, illuminated the type of person. But to your point to his writing, I mean, it, it, this guy studied philosophy and theology and he, he put it all into practice with his writing and his, and his communicating, communication skills. I mean, he, he was he's, he's a modern philosopher, and I think he's going to be studied like some of the philosophical greats that we continue to study to this day, like Aristotle, and Socrates. He's going to be the one guy remembered, I think, 2,000 years from now. I think King will be remembered more so than anyone else. Right. Yeah, you write about uh, the philosophy. Uh, it's interesting. For some reason, you're making my eyes moisten up here. Now, I've never cried. Never cried. <laughs> But, 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 you, but, you, but you did make my eyes moisten up as I think about him the night before he died in Memphis in a hot church, which he didn't want to go to. And someone told right. him he needed to get out of bed and go to. And um, part of the reason I so appreciate you guys and I'm, I'm so honored that you guys agreed to do this is that 
uh, Fred Hampton, you know, I've known Reverend Jackson for a long time, and he always, whenever I'd see him, he'd always talk about Fred Hampton to me. Right. And he always said that Fred Hampton was one of the ones that that uh, that more people should know, and that right. and that he thought so highly of Fred Hampton, kind of America's Stephen Biko. If, right. if people right. who are watching uh, know who South Africa's Stephen Biko was, kind of fearless, important, young, vibrant. And I think in this young BLM moment, this Corey Bush moment that we're in, this AOC moment, right. it's, mm-hmm. it's important as I think about AOC, you know, hiding and worried about her life just a few weeks ago, right? right. That's right. Fred Hampton right. Right. in his room, right? Right, right. In the Absolutely. middle of the night. There, 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 are, right? there are no limits to white rage. There, there are no limits to uh, white violence, and there are no limits to the state and their use of violence against people that they perceive as, uh, you know, dissidents. So, yeah, I think she had every right to be terrified because you never know. You never know what they'll do. Although, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go back to your boy King, and this may seem Pollyannish of me. You know, he used to say, their destiny is tied up with our destiny, right? And he would say that, that he thought that all of our destiny uh, uh, was tied together. And I am... Um, I am I'm I'm an optimist naturally anyhow and I know both of you said that you are and that you appreciated Fred Hampton's optimism even in a space that may not have felt optimistic and for someone from Newark talking about snowboarding clearly that's an optimistic <laughs> person um, 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 uh, but I, I I hope change is uh, I hope change is going to come I hope um, and and I feel like it is I feel like there's there's a um, um, and again, maybe I'm just wishing it to be true, but but I feel like there is a goodness upon the land um, uh, and a desire, uh, maybe not everyone, maybe not even a majority, um, but but enough people that there's a goodness on the land that we could be something different. And, uh, right. and I, I think I agree. telling history more honestly, as you guys are doing, may help people get there. No, I, 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 I agree with you fundamentally. I, I think that at, at the end of the day, we're all human beings and there might be some, some negatives. There might be some, some, some people out there who want to cause destruction, but I think there are a lot of people out there, black, white, don't matter. I think there are a lot of people out there who, who want to, to cause good and, mm-hmm. and they want to see change. And, and we've seen a lot of progress. We can't, we can't dismiss the work that Dr. people like Dr. King did to bring about progress. There's right. been a ton of progress. Right. So, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm very optimistic despite the craziness that we've been seeing. I think that I think that the, the you know things will. The, what's the quote from Dr. King? The, 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 arc, moral, the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. Yes, I believe that, and I and I, and I think we just got to continue to push forward and fight, and uh, we're going to see a lot of a lot of good things come, even from the even from the. I think I think King had the, the right outlook. I mean, he was he understood that racism was a monstrosity in cities, in cities, but he also understood that people are typically good. Like, I mean, for the most part, your, your average person isn't a racist monster. Most people aren't like Hoover. You know what I mean? Like most people are pretty good. I think it's just like, it's a battle of wills. Like what, what narrative is going to win out? Is Hoover's narrative going to win out or is King's narrative going to win out? I think that those two guys were battling for the soul of the United States. And I think ultimately Hoover and the FBI got King killed. I'm not being conspiratorial. I believe that this is based on facts, but I, I think that but King's message, but King King's message has resonated beyond that period. And Hoover couldn't see that because he was too small of a man. 
you went a little Radio Raheem on me. You guys are too young <laughs> to remember Radio Raheem, but uh, you know he was talking about the forces of good and evil. And uh, hey, uh, guys, they're gonna make me let you go, but I hope um, if you have time, I hope you'll come back in the future. I so That's appreciate you uh, stopping by. Of course, this is awesome, man. Thank you, man. Thank this you is, so this much. This is a privilege and an honor. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you both. Thank you, and good luck uh, with the films opening. You got a lot of fans oh, yes. on the team. There's a There's a team here that's going to be watching. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then mm-hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.